and welcome to Best Girl Grip, the podcast that celebrates the women behind the scenes of the British film industry. Hello, pod pals. Welcome to another episode of Best Girl Grip. I am your host, Nicole Davis. Before I introduce this week's guest, I want to devote a small amount of time to addressing the recent claims from the government that creative professionals and those in the arts ought to retrain and find work in other sectors. And like many people who live and work and breathe the arts, that really ticked me off because it's people's livelihoods and ambitions and a sense of purpose that you're dismissing when you make a comment like that. I'm not going to sit here and extol the virtues of the creative sector. It's likely preaching to the choir and there are plenty of people that have done that far more eloquently already. But I would just like to say that it can be hard as creative to find value in what you're doing and to sustain a doggedness or a sense of direction at the best of times, even more so when it becomes an easy target for disregard and almost mockery. And therefore, I think it's more important than ever that we make art and music and films and that we voice dissent and that we raise consciousness and that we never lose the ability to be in touch with our creative selves. Because personally, I think that's when we're the best versions of ourselves, you know, not when we're retrained to be efficient and diligent capitalist cyber robots. And now, without further ado, I am very thrilled to be able to introduce Dion Farrell as this week's podcast guest. Dion is a development executive at BBC Films, where she has worked across several of their releases, including Ratman's Blue Story and Francis Lee's Ammonite, which is closing this year's London Film Festival. Dion began her career as an office runner for Raw, before moving into script development as the BFI's script editor trainee. We talk about those experiences, as well as gaining confidence, learning when to speak up, but also finding value in silence, slowness and the idea of not feeling guilty when we're not being maximally productive, how she assesses projects and trusting her gut instinct when it comes to championing them. I'm really grateful to Dion for her openness and I hope as ever you enjoy the insight into this part of the film industry. This is episode 66 of Best Girl Grip. I usually like to begin with these is um, getting an understanding of at what point you realised you wanted a career in film. Like, where did you go to university and what did you study? Did you have film in mind at that point? So I studied English at Oxford University and I did that because I just enjoyed English. I'd done like a kind of a bit of a split of A-levels, some science, some humanities and arts. And at that point, I think I was still trying to hold the possibility of like being able to do Mm. like any like the future could hold anything but at the same time uh during my a levels i got the opportunity to write on eastenders e20 which was an online spin-off to the soap which was all about uh trying to kind of re-engage and invigorate a a younger audience that was kind of i guess like my first proper experience of the film and TV industry and and jobs in that in that realm and definitely I think sparked something in me in terms of what I wanted to do coming out of university and knowing that I wanted to to go that route in some way. And so did you have creative ambitions? Was that kind of interest because you you were writing and you kind of wanted to maybe move into script writing? So I'd, I've always written stories from a really young quite a young age. It was always prose because I, I grew up reading quite a lot, like, I don't know, Angus Fong's and Full Frontal Slogging and stuff. <laughs> I just absolutely loved that book. Mallory Blackman's Noughts and Crosses mm-hmm. Theory. And so I, I was always creative in that respect, but I also didn't ever necessarily see writing 
as a career for whatever reason. I didn't, I couldn't imagine myself being a writer that monetized it. I think as a child, like I, I could imagine being a writer, but I just couldn't imagine like making a living out of it. Mm-hmm. And then that opportunity to um, script write was the first time I'd ever thought of writing for screen. And that just came about because there'd been like a writing competition at school. Mm-hmm. So like teachers had come to know that I, I wrote in my spare time and then put me on that. So otherwise, I don't think I'd have been proactive about finding that opportunity. And then it, yeah, then it opened up the kind of possibility of the creative industries in that respect. But I wasn't ever thinking that I wanted to script write. That definitely wasn't the aim for me. And I think actually that experience was quite formative because I got to be on like in a writer's room, essentially, there was there was 13 of us and it was very shy. And, you know, that thing of like finding your voice, it was quite daunting. And there's things about the writing experience I really loved and I liked like doing dialogue and stuff but I think in a weird way structurally like having to come up with so much drama and story to sustain an episode wouldn't suit me I don't think I've I entertained the idea of being a scriptwriter myself for very a very long time but at the same time it definitely made me think you know when I was at university and over the summer holidays looking for work experience opportunities I was looking in film and TV because I thought there'd be interesting opportunities in those spaces. At what point did it formulate in your head that you wanted to head towards that direction in film? Like was that something you're quite set on after graduating or you kind of it happened incrementally like job by job you're like oh maybe I'll now start to think about a career in film? So like oddly even though I had had that experience on E20 and had even got to work with a um, script editor maybe this is me being being a bit naive but I wasn't I didn't come out of university being really set on a, a specific direction mm-hmm. I had vague a vague notion that I wanted to work in drama in some respect but I think a, a big part of the first few years in, of my career in the industry was actually just figuring out like mm-hmm. what the, the landscape of the industry is how things work what roles there are and that kind of thing so the very first role I had was as a researcher on something called the Mummy Youth Project, which is they're essentially a charity that makes a magazine format show for Sky TV. So I spent three months working on that show on the music team. And that was a lot of fun because it was a really great and like tight knit team of us all really new to the industry. And then off the back of that, most of us were meant to get an internship so I got to intern on a Sky medical drama called Critical by Jed Mercurio and that was my first experience of being in a production office in pre-production and then also getting to see a little bit of what it was like once once they were shooting it was a great experience to be involved in that but also felt a myriad of other feelings and um, it was just a thing of I guess like one by one like figuring out what isn't for me and what is for me and then I was a office runner at a production company called Raw for a year and that was quite important because at the time they they had a fairly new drama department and works they do mostly factual production and were known for like TV and film that involves a lot of uh, reconstruction and it was really brilliant to be in a 
space where you could just talk to people about what they do and how they got to where they got to so yeah I think it was kind of bit by bit just discovering like a little bit more of the industry and a little bit more possibilities of what you could do and did you have any like mentors or people that you looked up to that you felt like you could go to for advice like either within the raw office or outside of that the office runner position came through I got that through something called creative access which was set up quite a few years ago now to try and get more underrepresented ethnic groups and white working class into the industry part of that you you actually get an official mentor um, and my mentor was someone in the company who was kind of like a talent exec and I think I don't know like the the thing about mentoring particularly when it's formalized in that sense is personally I've like never quite known what I meant to get out of it or like what questions I'm meant to ask and I think I'm someone who's often quite cautious about like how much time I'm like taking from someone so I think for me it was probably more beneficial to kind of learn things through osmosis so it was great it was it was really great to have a mentor who I could speak to every now and then but I also think when you're the way in which that was done because it is someone in the company I didn't I didn't have any like massive grievances but you know if you if you're in a situation where you're having issues at work or with the people that you work with I don't know if it works in that respect for you to kind of go to someone and um and air things or kind of look for yeah advice on like how you navigate this quite bizarre industry but then since then I feel like I've had official and unofficial mentors I did do I did get another mentor through creative access a few years later and that was quite focused on me just kind of like honing certain development skills so that was like but uh, by the time I was actually in the in the part of the industry that I knew I wanted to be in yeah. it was quite nice to have a space where you were just talking a bit about yeah like how you do the job but also the things that you're that aren't going to be transparent to you as someone coming into a development position quite fresh mm-hmm. and so I definitely feel like I benefited from just that person giving me some tips and tricks and then beyond that I think there's there's definitely been people who have uh, championed me in in ways that have been like immeasurably helpful that I didn't recognize at the time and and hadn't kind of called on them to do that so it was really wonderful that they that they that they recognized something in me that they wanted to help yeah that's the funny thing about mentorship I find is that you have to know quite specifically within yourself where you're heading in a way to like get something um, tangible out of that because you have to know what to ask or who or who is going to be the person that can elevate you to that place so yeah it's a very specific kind of relationship seeing as you brought up yeah you'll move into development then I'm wondering at what stage you realized that was a role and that was a career that you wanted and what was it specifically about that realm that interested you when did I I mean to be honest I I think because when you're when you're starting out and just trying to get any job I was applying for lots but def, I do remember I remember applying for a development assistant role at left bank mm-hmm. and I think that the thing that appealed to me is it's essentially like getting to do my hobbies you know like getting to read and and watch things and mm-hmm. all of that sound sounds really fun but yeah I remember going for that interview and um the person interviewing me asking like what writers I liked and I was like Jack Vaughan and that was a really obvious choice and they they basically told me that I needed to go to the theatre and 
and consume more in that respect and, and essentially you know like learn learn more about writers and things like that so I guess it has been development has the idea of it has been like at the back of my mind for a very long time but I think you know my time at Raw just kind of solidified it and learning more about how it actually works mm. helped me to know that I was definitely on the right track in terms of what I was interested in and then back in 2015 I applied for the script editor trainee role at the BFI and was fortunate enough to get that and again that was just another thing that like really really made me realize that this is definitely what I enjoy doing Um, and spending six months with the film fund team and being able to read scripts day to day sit in meetings and meet with filmmaking talent and have conversations about you know yeah, analytically, but also sometimes just saying, "Oh, I did. I enjoyed that, or I didn't enjoy that." Like that was all really enjoyable, and um, and I felt like I was getting. I find I find it really enriching. I find personally the conversations I get to be involved in, and the way in which it challenges me to think about the world. Really, yeah, just kind of like broadens my horizons. So I think that's another thing that really appeals to me about this space in the industry Mm. and if we could I'd love to now dig into your role specifically at BBC Films where you're a development executive talk to me about your day-to-day what are your responsibilities and kind of what are you doing on a daily basis it is quite a varied role which is another thing that I really enjoy about it but typically we have projects that are on our development slate that we are kind of actively working on so when those when new drafts of that those come in um it's about reading and responding to those and putting meetings in the diary to give feedback or or just figuring out whatever that development process needs to be and and suiting that for the filmmakers uh then it's about reading and responding to submissions that come into us um usually they come through uh, agents or producers um as well as you know writers directors producers that we've been active about approaching and then it's talent tracking uh, so it can be reading sample scripts that you've received through agents or new writers or writers that you're just not aware of yet trying to watch short films or music videos or commercials online to, to expose myself to talent that I'm not aware of more ad hoc things are like you know whether it's festival attendance whether it's talking at an industry event and that kind of thing and I'm wondering, in particular to the BBC, how how do you learn what projects or or you know what writers who are a good fit for the BBC? You know, is, is that something that's quite apparent from the get go, or have you felt like you've had to hone your own taste and what you're looking for accordingly? I came to BBC Films when it was pretty much becoming a whole new team, or definitely editorially any, anyway. Uh, so my initial conversations in my interview with Rose and Eva was a lot about you know my taste and what filmers, filmmakers that I know and like and and that kind of thing. So it was quite transparent from that point that we were all quite aligned in that respect. And it was really exciting actually to to kind of mention some of my favourite short films or short filmmakers and know that they were already working with them. Mm. So in that respect, I think I was coming in having quite a clear sense of the kind of work uh, they were building and the kind of filmmakers they were working with and then it just meant me kind of needing to grow my confidence to feel like I had the autonomy to to bring more of those people to to the table in a way 
I'd love to touch on the confidence thing that you just raised there. And I'm wondering if that confidence grew with just with time and experience, or was there anything that you're doing specifically to grow that confidence? Uh, I mean, I think it's still growing. <laughs> and I think I I feel like I spent a lot of time actually when I joined BBC Films, really thinking about like, I've got to be, I've got to be vocal, I've got to be this and that. Because in a way, I think I I was really surprised to get the role. And so there's, I think at the back of my ha- my mind, I had lots of questions about like, why, like, why me in a way? And it's that, it's one, having to get over that and, and recognise your own value and then recognise, I guess it's recognise like how you are able to do what you're doing in your own way. So I think it's like a lot of looking at how other people approach giving feedback in in meetings, for example, or how they build relationships with filmmakers, but also recognising that you don't have to copy them. Like there's, you, you will be able to find your own way of doing that. And it was just about having, yeah, I think part is, it's always time, it's experience. And then I think, oddly, everything that's happened in this this year and all of the things that have always been there in terms of lack of diversity and representation stuff and weirdly that's kind of given me more permission in a way like I think I spent a lot of time feeling that I needed to be not quite conciliatory but like uh, needing to be polite not quite understanding or recognizing what my position in a room might be and now I'm recognizing the the power of my voice but also the power of silence like I, I think I've, the big thing I've been trying to get over is always being really quiet in like in certain spaces and spending so much time thinking about that and needing to correct that and now I feel like I'm getting to a place where actually I can recognize the value in that quietness and when it's useful and opposite to that like the value of when it's useful to speak up Particularly, I imagine in development where you're working with so many kind of different personalities, you know, there are so many different types of writers and directors. And so it's about like recalibrating that to fit the needs of the project. Is that something you sort of learned over time as well? Yeah. And again, it's, I think it's something that I'm going to continue learning because you're always getting to work with and meet different people and, and having to figure out how they work and how they want to work and what the best approach is in that respect. And so, yeah, like I just think maybe I spent too much time thinking like I need to be saying something at at this specific time so that they know I'm here and they know why I'm here and now I'm I hope I'm getting to a point where I'm like more comfortable and and the the very fact of being comfortable means that you you like suddenly push that to the back of your mind and you're not thinking about I need to speak up at this point so that I've made a point you're just thinking about the work and and that helps you to bring yourself to it in a more fruitful way. Also something I'm really interested in, particularly when it pertains to taste and and preferences, is how you learn to trust your instinct with a project or with a filmmaker and say, this is someone that's worth championing, this is someone that we should support. You know, how do you then present that to your team with with the trust in yourself that you've seen something? I mean, I think partly it, it goes down to the volume of stuff you're looking at and just feeling like really familiar with watching things a lot reading a lot and and being able to work out what your kind of threshold in terms of quality is I think for taste like I'm often led by the filmmaker as much as the project so if you recognize something in 
that really speaks to you in a filmmaker's work, you know, whether that's a writer or a director, that's the thing that makes it really easy to get excited by them as well. So, you know, it might not be that they, the first thing they bring you is, is the right thing, but you can hold on to feeling that you will settle on something at some point. And then I think thirdly, actually, sometimes, sometimes I have to check in with the team and, and check my own taste or like, and that's really useful as well is, is just reminding yourself that you aren't, you're not doing this on your own and that more voices are often much better than one. Mm. So if I met, I ever have reservations about something, I'd rather ask someone else to have a look at it than just dismiss it because I wasn't completely convinced. And I think that's, that's a really nice thing to have as well is just to be able to like have a conversation and hear someone else's perspective on something. And when it comes to reading scripts, you know, is that a a very emotional reaction you're having where you can kind of just feel it in your gut that you're reacting to the story? Or does it come down to, you know, more thoughtful analysis afterwards when you're doing like the script report or thinking about it? Like, when do you decide that that project is something that you want to back? I think it can be a bit of both. You know, sometimes you can like, someone will pitch you something and just hearing, I don't know, like, a couple of words about it is the thing that immediately get, grips you and you're like this is this sounds like it's going to be brilliant and then on the flip side you might receive um, a script or a treatment or something but doesn't quite live up to how you envisaged it was going to be and then you have to kind of more thoughtfully approach okay well what's the disconnect in a way like why isn't it working as well as I thought it would or why am I not feeling as excited by it? Once you've had the emotional reaction, because that that's just something that to me is 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 quite immediate. You can cu- you can come out of a film or whatever it is you you say you love something, but then mm. I guess interrogating it, interrogating why, um, how are you going through that process of being like, okay, this is why it's working and this is why it's not working. I think so. I feel like often because we're we're looking at things that are at quite an early stage, so you know, obviously are gonna have a journey to go on to to kind of fully realize what it is but I think it's when the intentions in a way speak to you like you there's a clarity in what it wants to be even if it's not quite articulating that yet if I'm reading something that tells me what wants to be a love story but actually the thing that it feels like it's communicating most is trauma then I'm kind of trying to figure out one what it's doing Mm. and if if it has the potential to do that thing really well and if it isn't doing that thing then why isn't that working and is it just because uh it's actually not a particularly interesting approach to that story or it hasn't given us very well realized characters or very well realized um world a word I've adopted a lot recently (laughs) is specificity I think that's something that feels really important to me in in any storytelling you know again by virtue of like reading a lot you end up seeing things that sometimes feel quite similar or are mining quite similar experiences or tropes so then what you want to see is that the filmmaker has done a bit more to interrogate that and isn't just presenting you with like you know a kind of typical coming of age but really understands why it's this character coming of age in this particular time or this particular space and how all of that coalesces to make you feel whether you're familiar with, you know, whether that's your experience or not, but actually makes you feel kind of really immersed and embedded in it. 
thinking about script editing and and development like that, it, it makes it sound quite analytical. But I'm wondering if you also find it quite a creatively fulfilling role. Yeah, I think it's really, really creatively fulfilling personally. And I think, you know, that goes back to I've always the thing I loved about studying English was I think it was always better on the micro than the macro. I just loved being able to like look at language, look at a sentence that someone had written in a poem and and really analyse that. But I think that's quite a creative thing. And I think, yeah, just the, the consideration, even beyond the script, like, you know, when when something advances towards production and you're thinking about cast and crew and all of these other elements that have to come together in order to make the thing work is all really exciting and again it's another thing that I'm getting to learn as I go but I think often I hope anyway the conversations we have about scripts don't feel too academic I think again that's that comes down to like what suits the filmmaker and how they think about their work but the great thing is when you you have these conversations that make you think in a in a different way about the work as well. I'm wondering as well what skills you think make you good at your job. I think I don't know how much of a skill this is, but it's I think capacity. I think because you there's often so much to to do or to you know there's I guess the like the con of having a job that feels like your hobby is that it's like where are the boundaries in between like you know when am I watching something for me and for pleasure versus when am I doing it for work but I think having the capacity to be able to like to do it but also on the flip side of that I don't think it should mean that it becomes all-consuming and I think something that I'm definitely like trying to be more mindful of is also the thing of like making space for slowness making space for I don't know like recognizing when I'm not in the space to like read something Mm. it's just as valuable I think because if you you know if you just don't want to read something in that moment unless there's like particular pressures on your time particular deadlines you have to meet then actually you need to come to it when you have the energy the right energy to bring to it and then I think something else is elasticity in a way, as in like the the more imaginative you can be or the more open to new ideas you can be, uh, the more fulfilling it will be. And I think the better the work will be because, you know, I'm, I'm very mindful that like I think in a particular way or I approach things in a particular way and I'm trying to break that, that down, uh, which again is useful when you're getting to work with lots of different people and trying to facilitate them being able to work in the, they, the way they want to and you've slotting into that and recognizing when that that elasticity is like is useful to bring to something the point you raised about the all-consuming nature of the job is one I'm interested in and I'm wondering how you set boundaries I don't know if I've I don't know if I've got there yet <laughs> um I, I do think I'm I do think I'm much better at it because particularly with this job when I started you know you'd like with most jobs that you start, you want to impress, you want to like try and learn as much as possible. And again, like 2020, like, <laughs> I've been in the same space for most of it. So I think it just got to a point where I could, like I would, I I'd often tell myself, I'm going to read this script over the weekend or I'm going to like watch this film. Sometimes I just, I like my body won't let me. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to just, acknowledge that because yeah there's there's really no point in me trying to do something that I 
feel like I come at that time. I'm also really interested in the fact that the the BBC Films editorial team are made up of entirely women. I th- I think that's correct. Correct me if I'm wrong there. Um, but I'm wondering if you can speak to what working in that environment is like. You know, I I don't want what I don't want to do is stray into like generalizations about women and men. I think personally, it is is actually something that like fortunately I'm I'm familiar with when I was at BFI that the editorial team there was predominantly women or my kind of interactions on the day-to-day were with women but equally I've worked on teams that have been led by men and equally I've worked on teams that have, have been led by women but maybe haven't felt as comfortable for me and I think for, I think you know it's also about where gender meets race and ethnicity meets class meets disability I think it's like the intersection of all of those things so uh, I really enjoy the team I work with at BBC and but I think you know when we think about like working on a team of women we need to then think about what next and Mm. and is this making space for everyone so that yeah these are just things that again I think this year has sharpened in my mind and like when we're having these conversations about representation and and wanting this industry to be inclusive, who are we forgetting when we, mm-hmm. yeah, when we when we talk about on and and also how we talk about that? So I don't know if I've actually answered your question. But. You've you've made me want to ask a better question, which is that considering you know the conversations that are happening and considering perhaps how our priorities as a film industry have changed and you you talk there about it kind of sharpening what you're thinking about how has that manifested in your job and your day-to-day you know how is that conversation around representation coming to the fore in perhaps what you're looking for or how you're looking for it I think it's ongoing but yeah like I said it's sharpened it because the whole time that I've been working in tv and film it's always been a conversation that's been happening but maybe not in the best way like maybe it's had good intentions but the results or the methods used to try and you know diversify and that kind of thing haven't been the most productive so I think that's part of it is actually thinking about how do we take all of the energy that has been galvanizing since like the middle of this year and transform that into something truly meaningful you know, how do we make sure that, I don't know, like what, words like accountability, you know, actually mean what they say and aren't just kind of thrown around. It's all like ongoing and it's all, I think, really big conversations to have. I think, you know, it's work that we've been doing. But again, like now we have to think about how we do it, how we improve on what we've been doing. When I joined the team, it's always felt like that thing of representation has been really, really important to what we're doing and who we're supporting. I also think now it's like you have to think about how you measure that, yeah, as well as how you implement that. Yeah, because I think the, it, when when it comes to measuring it, is then it's the longevity that you're looking for, right? Because it's not just about diversifying it for this moment in time. It's how do we then sustain that? I'm also wondering, you know, if the pandemic has changed any other ways that you've worked or you know introduced concepts that you would then want to take forward once things begin to kind of normalize in air quotes I think practically that thing of just like movement and travel (laughs) has been really useful for you know both on my side in terms of 
it's so easy to just talk to people who are in a different country and not have to yeah not have to get on a train or a plane to do that and so yeah I think I definitely like some of that to stay uh but I also think that sometimes it does feel really really valuable being able to have a face-to-face with someone and that adds a different dynamic to the uh to the interaction you're able to have and then I think that being which I'm still kind of figuring out in my own head of slowness and what that means to me yeah I guess the fact of like maybe not feeling guilty if I'm not reading (laughs) um in my spare time is definitely something I want to hold on to and I'm wondering if you have uh, a conception of what the the biggest learning curve of your career has been. So far, because I know there's so much more to learn. I think it's like, and this, like, for me anyway, it's come with time and experience. But sometimes people are going to try and tell you who you are and who you're meant to be. Like, you know, like the way in which you're meant to be. So I guess going back to that thing that you was speaking about earlier in terms of like confidence and like speaking up or you know when to do that and when not to do that and I do think I spent a lot of time because I'd had particular places and spaces that had made me feel like I've got to be louder like that's just what I've got to be in order to to stand out I'm now at a place where actually I'm like that wasn't useful advice like that's not the only way to be to be heard or to be valuable yeah I guess just being kind of more comfortable with how I am Mm. and being okay or being like as well like comfortable with other people's discomfort on that thread like I think a lot of things that I find in the film industry is people telling you what maybe you should like or being like surprised when you like a certain thing like a certain genre Mm. or a certain type of filmmaker and they're like that doesn't connect and it's almost just like sitting with you know not feeling like you have to justify that just because they're uncomfortable right and just being like well that's what I like yeah definitely oh I think that's really important as well actually just because I think this industry it's very easy to be a bit pretentious when you're um when you're yeah when you're working in it because you there's something about it that makes you think you you know best when actually like it's taste isn't it everyone has a different taste and yeah that fit yeah it's so it's always interesting when people you say that you like something and people are like what <laughs> like that you're like, yeah. yeah so yeah that as well and finally, um, I'm wondering if there's a film that you've seen, it can be a new or old release, short or feature length, from a woman director that you think is an undervalued gem. The film I've seen most recently is Claire Oakley's debut makeup, which I just found so beguiling. And it's really so, it's so imagistic, if that's the right word. It's like so told through visuals. And I thought it was really beautiful in that respect. And just the fact that you, like, obviously it's cinema, like, we tell stories through the camera but how much you can do through that always surprises me and the reason it sticks out as well is just because it's a film that made me feel something you know I really connected to to the characters and that situation and and found it surprising and revealing um, in lots of different ways and then another which is a, the same in terms of like making me feel something as has stayed with me for a really long time and I need to re-watch it is Mate Diop's Atlantics mm. which I just thought such an incredible film and weirdly feels not weirdly but 
it's only going to become sadly more relevant and it does so much like on a personal level like the romance and the love story on a political level in terms of genre it's just exquisite those are two like quite nice companion pieces actually I feel like if you watch those back to back like that would be a great double bill (laughs) I don't know how you feel at the end of it (laughs) yeah probably a bit shaken and disturbed um (laughs) Dion, thank you so much for your time today. I found this really, really interesting. So thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you as well. Thank you for downloading this episode of Best Girl Grip. You can find all my previous episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Acast. If you're interested in development, I recommend my episodes with Emma Norton, Jess Jones and Rowan Woods. I'll be back next Tuesday with a brand new episode. Until then, have a lovely week. Mm